Hello and welcome to Map Bites episode 120. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, all we hear is Radio Gargar, Radio Gugu, Radio Gargar. Now, I did threaten to sing, but uh, I don't think I'll bother. For which we're all grateful. Anyway, following your request to know what notes app people use and how many notes they have, we heard from Graham, who said, Hitting reply before I've listened to the show as instructed. I'm using a combination of Notability, which currently has 38 notes, Apple Notes app for long-term stuff, 33 notes, and Simple Note for day-to-day stuff, because it syncs with Android, only six notes. Finally, for shopping lists, etc., I use scraps of paper. I can't be doing with fumbling with phones and things like that while in the supermarket. Now, like Graham, I use a combination of notes apps and scraps of paper. If I need to do something on the way home or ring someone during the day, for example, the fact I have a piece of paper in my pocket that I can feel actually acts as a reminder for me. But unlike Graham, you will find me walking around Tesco's with my phone in my hand, ticking off items in OneNote. (laughs) Because that's always gone so well, hasn't it? Uh, you mean the time that it didn't sync and I had to uninstall it and, and and couldn't connect to the app store to reinstall it and, and ended up using the web version? Yeah, yes. but basically ringing home and saying, can you just photo that, take a photograph of, of my paper note and send it to me? Well, on the whole, it's worked. We just on the one, whole, that one, one note synchronises whenever it feels like it, and that's not often. But I digress, because we also heard from one of our long-time listeners, Charlie, who asked, what is a note? Now, I thought she was being sarcastic until I read on. I have three one-note notebooks. Each notebook has lots of sections and lots of pages. Too many for me to count. Sorry, this sounds like me. Many of the pages contain multiple notes. For example, my to-do list, I count each item as a note. So in answer to Elaine's question, I mainly use OneNote and I have thousands of notes. Do you know, I was so thankful to hear Charlie had so many notes as I have got literally thousands of notes all over the place. I started out with paper notebooks and some of those still adorn the shelves of my office. I consider that proof that analogue works because I can still find notes I made during the first Mac user group meetings we went to back in 2006. After analogue, I should say I had a file of fax before that and you know what, that worked as well. It was only one of the small ones, but it worked. It got me through university that. Well, after the analogue thing, I turned to Evernote. But because we discussed it, I thought, right, sit down, let's have a look, see where your notes are. And I've also got notes in Simple Note, Envy Alt, DevonThink, OneNote, Good Notes, Bear, Agenda, and an ARC notebook from Staples. Ah, Staples. R.I.P. Do you know I think it's still going in the States? But it's been in liquidation twice not, here. So how long yeah, my ARC notebook, you know, supposed to last forever is going to last, I don't know. Luckily, I did with my ARC notebook because it, it's a it's an analogue thing. I did get the um, hole punch because it's like unique. It's like shaped like little mushrooms at the side. If I hadn't have bought that, then I, I would probably have been binned by now. But I can actually, at a push, make my own pages for it. So that might live to fight another day. And I do still use it. But fear not. Having ascertained just how many places my notes are in, I am now on a mission to consolidate all my notes. Where I hear you ponder. I do hear you pondering where, don't I? Oh, I was thinking. Bit of a delay there, Mike. Notion, my beloved Notion. Now, the problem of consolidating, for me anyway, is sometimes you know where the notes are. But if you add them to your new system, it seems you're never quite sure where they actually are now. So I'm in the midst of this process and I've solved that issue in two ways. I add a note to the original source to the effect that the active note is now somewhere else and put where it is. And then I've added an original source tag to the new note in Notion. Now, Notion works with items that can exist as independent pages. So if you've used OneNote or Evernote, the level of a note in there. 
or a notion item can be a page within a table. Now, adding notes to a table makes it much easier to manage them and you can add meta to them as well. And that's especially true when the number of notes increases with me exponentially. So what about the rest of you? I've bared my note-taking soul now. Uh, we need you to let us know. So again, before you go any further with the show, let us know what you use, how many notes you've got. We also heard from Alistair, and Alistair had a OneNote question. He said, hi team, I know you're big fans of OneNote. Well, I am. I don't know about I you. have been. I, it's the sink. It, it could just be me, but it, it seems to work when it feels like it. I have noticed lately, I will say this, um, you've been in a note and I've been looking at it and I can see your changes instantly. So it's improving. Ooh. Do you know what that reminded Ooh. me of? Google Wave. No. So while I reminisce, I'll let you carry dun, on. Dun, no, dun, dun, no, no death march. Dun, 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 dun. Going back to Alistair, he says, I know you're big fans of OneNote and I'm a fairly big fan too when it comes to my work. We have 300 plus pages in a technical documentation notebook, which the team are updating and referring to every single day. But as we're a technical team, there are a lot of code snippets and data dumps in there. And it's most annoying when Microsoft deign to suggest that flapped, which is spelled F-L-A-P-P-D, and P-T-L-O-G-T-S are not valid words and give them the squiggly red underline treatment. Some sections of text have so much red it makes it hard to read. They're right about them not being words, but they are exactly the text that we intend. Sometimes I'll go through every single red underline and ignore the suggestion. However, I really wish we could either turn off the checking or at least mark it as ignore en masse. Do you know if this is possible? We're on Windows 10 with Office 365 Pro Plus. Any solution requiring a plugin would be a last resort, as it would involve convincing someone we should be allowed to install it on our tightly locked down PCs. Now, I agree with Alistair. It would be good if you could disable the spell checking for just a page or just a section or even just a part of a page. I actually found a thread on user voice about that, so he's not the only person uh, who wants that feature. But I don't hold out much hope that Microsoft will add that functionality. Certainly not to OneNote 2016 because they've stopped actively developing for that version. They might, however, add it to the feature-crippled Windows 10 version. Anyway, there's two ways that I could find to do what Alistair wants, aside from disabling spell checking completely for the entire application, and I'm guessing he doesn't want to do that. One is to select the text and then select Review, Language, Proofing Tools, and choose a language that you don't have a dictionary for. Now, in my testing, I chose Welsh, and all my red squiggles disappeared. The other way is to use a macro provided by Wantastic. I know he said about plugins, but Wantastic is a plugin for OneNote. It only works with the Windows version, and it only works with 2010 to 2016. There's no support for the new Windows 10 version. It was actually written by an ex-Microsoft employee who used to work on the OneNote team. And it provides a framework for macros that can be run within OneNote. It comes with over 500 macros and new ones get added regularly. And one of the macros it comes with is called No Spell Check, which does exactly what Alistair wants. It used to be free, did Wantastic. And there is actually still a free version, but there's a pro version, which costs $15 a year. The free version allows you to download up to 20 macros and execute them up to 500 times. And the pro version removes this limitation. I did actually use it at work, but like Alistair, we have a tightly locked down PC, so I do understand your problem. I requested it to be added to our company's software store. However, that's when it was free. And once the licensing model changed and heavy users started to see nag screens, it actually ended up being removed from the store, which is a shame because some of the macros that I used were, were real time savers for me. I had one and I basically used it for two macros. Can't remember what the second one was, but one to me was like, this isn't built in. 
really. Um, having the, you know, the page tabs. So you're in a, a, yeah. a group, a section group, and it was basically your page, yeah. your pages, just to sort them alphabetically. I'll give you a similar one. Um, one of the things that we do when we run a course at work that we do via Skype, you can integrate Skype with OneNote and you can generate a page which gives a list of the people who've logged into the Skype call, but they're listed in the order that they logged in. And because I then have to check the attendees off against the people who booked on the course and the list of people who booked on the course is in alphabetical order, what I'm doing now is selecting the list from OneNote, copying and pasting it into Excel and sorting it. What I used to be able to do was just sort basically a list of, you know, a list in OneNote or a, a paragraph list into alphabetical order. So, yes, there are quite a lot of useful macros in That's there. That's why I consider that. OneNote and its ilk, so Evernote, have kind of slowed development to a crawl. Every time you get an update, it pretty much just says bug fixes. But when um, I had an app called Quiver, I think I've mentioned it before, I wanted an app that was my code database. So I don't code anything like as much as I used to, but I still have lots and lots of code snippets for WordPress, because pretty much everything is just changed the CSS, isn't it? So I've got all these snippets of code and I wanted to put them somewhere, preferably where I, I could have the code and it be colour coded. That would be a good start. But as I worked through these apps, and I must have had about five of them, one after the other, I ended up with one called Quiver. And what that enables you to do, because the one I had before that, name of which escapes me, it could be code box, but don't quote me. That enabled you to group together more than one page, if you will. So you could have a block of CSS in a .css file and a block of text in a .txt and a block of HTML in a HTML file. And you, in essence, put them together in one item, whatever code box or whatever it was called, used as an item. And it meant that I could have a text file with the instructions in because if you try writing the instructions into the CSS, that way madness lies. And I thought that was as good as it was going to get. I thought that was pretty amazing. But that one, whichever one it was, died a death. Uh, I think it went subscription or they wanted me to pay again for the same software I already had because another company had bought it. And I thought, you know what, that's the end of the line. So I ended it up with this one called Quiver from the App Store. And it didn't work in quite the same way in terms of having you can have multiple pages grouped together to make one item. But what it did have that was even better was whatever note and one note would consider a note. So one page, one item, a note. It let you build it up with blocks, basically. Now, Mike's instantly thinking this is sounding like Notion and that's where I'm heading. They're selling it as a note-taking app. And I thought, no, it's, it's a code base because I can have different block types. So I can say, I want this next bit of text to be text. And it's an explanation of what the following block does. And that's formatted as CSS and color coded. And the next one after that is HTML. So why that was better than the first one was instead of having to have separate pages, separate files, faux grouped together to make one item, everything's together in one page. So in essence, on your one page, you could put multiple blocks and one of them could be a code block. So in Alistair's case here, when he gets the stuff in there, the whole thing might be a code block or maybe he would have multiple code blocks. Now, that whole system is the entire way that Notion works. You can have pages or items, call them what you like in Notion, but the, the base unit, which is the container for the content you put in there. So we'll call it a page. But within that page, you can have um, a numbered item, a bulleted item, a plain paragraph of text, an image, a link to another page. You can put all that kinds of content in. And one of the things you can put in is a code block. Once you put your code block in, it does really two, three things, I would say, that are pretty cool. It shows you that code in a slightly different way. So it looks like a code block 
and you don't get the squiggles underneath it. It also allows you to choose a language for that particular code block. So I've got mine as CSS or HTML. And then there's a copy button. So instead of having to go into your page and you know make a manual selection of the bit that you need to copy and paste into WordPress or wherever you're using that code, you just hit the copy button on the entire code block and it copies it. And I just think, why haven't OneNote done that? Why haven't they let you use containers on a page? And that way you can have not only, in, in Alistair's case, the spell check turned off if it's a code block, but you could provide extra functionality like choosing a language, colour coding it, having it copyable. It would be amazing. And I assume the answer to that is, because you're just sitting there looking vacant, Mike. I can see him. We're on video. It's cool. Liz. Um, I assume the way is it would need a complete rebuild. Or would it? Why can't you just use a style? A code style. Because the styles are crippled as well in that Windows 10 version. Most things are crippled in that Windows And the Mac version is nowhere near as fully functional as OneNote 2016 was. I hate it when companies do that. When they put something, I mean, it's not exactly RIP, but it's out of active development. And the one that they're trying to replace it with is what? 20% of the way there? Certainly mm. no more than that. It's so basic, it's unbelievable. Anyway, at least you've solved Alistair's problem. But if he could persuade the team to go to Notion, your life would change, Alistair. So have a look at it. Mine has. Yours has because I forced you to use it, you mean? Should we talk about Mojave? Oh, do we have to? <laughs> that involved me, didn't it? Resistance is futile. I'm still hanging on in there with High Sierra. So was I. I was quite happily doing that. Except for Apple's diabolical updates that, without exception, killed the Mac every time I attempted one. So picture the scene. Mid-March. Minding my own business. An update to High Sierra appears. Options? Well, number one, run away screaming. Or number two, well, basically run away screaming. I decided not to bother. Just walk away, leave it alone. The Mac had other ideas. I turned my back for a few seconds. A rookie mistake. Indeed. When I returned, the Mac was threatening to reboot. Which would have been a blessing, but as per the last several updates, it didn't reboot. Much system admin magic and incantations later, I was back in High Sierra, with half a Mojave install. After two more abortive attempts, no joy. So, no other option than to do the Mojave thing and hope for the best. By this stage, I think I've been at it about two, two and a half hours. Basically trying to get back to where I was, leave me alone. I even contemplated restoring from a carbon copy cloner backup. I was that desperate. But actually, the Mojave thing only took about 45 minutes before the machine sprang back into life, seemingly pleased with my, well, by my, I mean its decision to install Mojave. Mm, I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised it'd come back, to be honest. And I reached the point where, OK, so what's wrong with it? What's broken? Da, da, da. Um, the recent apps on the dock threw me. Do you remember me saying to you, I've got apps appearing on the dock and I don't have anything on my dock. It's an option that's there for recent apps to appear on the dock. So it looks like iOS. Mm. Yeah, that had to go to so turn that off. Unfortunately, Pinpoint, you know, that thing I use with the, it highlights the mouse pointer. That's yeah. not worked since. Which was strange because before I did the Mojave thing, it came up and was saying, you can't install the latest version because it's Mojave only. So, having got Mojave, I thought, great, I'll update. And it's never worked since. So that, that's a goner. Worse than that, Rogue Amoeba's nice cast is RIP. Much more on that later. Much more. Um, but I got to the stage where once you disable all the stupid stuff, you know, that time of day wallpaper, rubbish like that. You can hardly tell the difference between Mojave and any other version of macOS in the last five years. Is that a good thing or a bad? I think it's a good thing because I think the job of the OS is just to sit behind the scenes and let the computer get on with it, manage the memory, etc, etc. So if yes, it's good to have new features, but 
if you just leave everything as it is, then there's less of a learning curve. What you mean is it won't break. Yeah, yeah, as well. I think though, when they when they announce, you know, they do the WWDC thing and they announce new features, and sometimes that you're less than impressed, and other times you're thinking that's a really good addition. And this time, I did actually think, you know, that Finder view that they showed, and people were saying, "Oh, it's it's the new aperture," and I'm like, "Get life! <laughs> that's that's nothing like aperture," but it would show you information about your images. I've turned it on once, had a look, thought that's nice, never used it again. And yet, when I saw that, I thought that's really useful, but clearly not as useful as I thought it was going to be because I forget it's there. I think years ago, your upgrade was driven because you wanted the features, the new features. And I think now I'm I'm not really driven. I'm dragged kicking and screaming. And you still haven't done it. I still haven't done it. I'm still on High Sierra. Um I might I might do the shower thing. No, <gasps> no, not the shower thing. The shower thing. Let me explain to the listeners about the shower thing. One of our friends um, was going to work and she um, went in the shower before work and she said, oh, my, my phone came up with a message that said uh, upgrade. And it was a major upgrade to iOS 11, I think it was. She said, so I just said yes, went in the shower, came back and, and it was done. <laughs> I was all right after treatment and Valium at that thought. I mean, mine's backed up seven ways from Sunday before you do that. So no, 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 Mike, you are not doing the shower thing. That would never do. (laughs) Anyway, while we were away, we missed a gate. You might not have heard of this, Mike. Fobgate. No. It was a strange interaction between Apple pencils and car key fobs. Didn't worry me in the slightest. I don't have a car young enough to have anything fancy in the key department. My biggest worry would be if there was a problem with a crank handle I used to start the thing. It's steam-powered. You do realise that the map biters will be shocked at your lack of interest in automobile-related tech, don't you? Yep. It's a tin box on wheels to get you from A to B. I could not be less interested. I blame Mayor. It makes a change from blaming me. And how do you work that out? Well, Dad got a new car a few years ago. You know what he was like, obsessed with cars. Came with one of those fancy key things. It worked perfectly, save for a single issue. It was on the same frequency as the dog's chip. Every time Mayer walked past it, he unlocked it. It got that bad we had to walk Mayer past in even numbers so he could lock it again on his second pass. No, I wasn't surprised about this one at all. You can't beat an old-fashioned, simple key. No, you can't, can you? Something else that passed us by, probably because we were in wind-down mode at the time. Well, it was five days before Christmas when this one happened. Yeah, Corell announced that they bought Parallels. And your reaction to it was that they'll probably bin it. But when you look at the apps that Corel have bought over the years, because they have bought a lot, many of them are actually still going strong. And I'll name just a few of them. There's WinZip, there's Mind Manager, which I totally forgot that they bought, there's PaintShop Pro, and of course, WordPerfect. Now there's something for you to reminisce over. Do you know, I'm sitting here contemplating whether I ever knew they'd bought Mind Manager. That's not a problem, I use MindNode. Um, well... Word perfect and going strong aren't phrases usually used together. But yes, I do have a history with word perfect. Uh, the first version I bought was for my Amiga. Uh, it was £400 plus. I think it was around the 420 mark back in 1988. <gasps> that was an obscene amount of money back then, wasn't it? Uh, I bought it at a computer fair in London and I travelled down to this computer fair especially. It was version 4.2 and it was brilliant. Came with a five stone manual, you know, one of those in in the ring binders. The tombs. Yes, indeed. Uh, Pretty similar to to the original ones for um, Final Cut Pro, if you think about it. Anyway, I worked through this manual, all of it, learning about mail merge, concordance files, you name it. And I stuck with it for years. Eventually, I moved to WordPerfect 5.1 on a PC, but that was literally over six years later. Do you remember WordPerfect 5.1 for PC? It was DOS-based. I remember it well. I trained it once. 
Well, you, you're not a fan of word processors. I loved 5.1. It all went wrong with WordPerfect with Windows. The Windows version never reached its former glory and eventually I switched to Word. I was looking at WordPerfect.com. You know when you go down rabbit holes? Oh, frequently, usually involving Amazon. Yeah, well, I was I was looking at WordPerfect.com after I read this about uh, about Corel. And that brings back memories for me, too, of apps that I used to train on in years gone by. There was Quattro Pro Spreadsheet before I discovered Excel, of course. There was Paradox, a database application. I was actually the lead trainer on Paradox for many years at uh, the training company that I worked for back in the 90s. They also do something called PDF Fusion, which lets you create PDFs. It's for Windows, but then in the absence of PDF Expert for Windows, I might actually be tempted. Having said that, Kev from VA actually tweeted a link to uh, another Windows-based PDF uh, tool, which I haven't yet had a chance to look at. But uh, it is on my to-do list, Kev. I will get there eventually. That's what we call a planned rabbit hole. Well, it was sort of planned. I, I kind of... Yes, plan to go this way. You will. You'll be heading off down the I need something to handle PDFs on Windows rabbit hole very, very soon. Do you know the one you didn't mention there? And I'm frantically trying to think of the name. I think it was called Corel Presentations, which was ludicrous. Did it have a name beyond that? Can't remember. Oh, well, it, it was basically PowerPoint, but it was the Corel version. Do you remember the the theme it had, which was a road? The graphics were really nice. Yes, I do. I you do. know, at the time when PowerPoint had dad's tie, this thing had really nice templates. And I did a presentation, if you remember, for the um, lawyers I worked for at the time. And it was fabulous. And what did he want to do with it? He wanted it printed out. Bless. Which sounds fine in 2019. Less so. When was it? 1994? Mm. Yeah, because we had an inkjet printer and it was a Canon. Do you remember those tiny little bottles of ink that cost more than yeah, a hip replacement? more than the printer. Well, to say we went through a fair few of those was an understatement. In the end, I said, please take it to Prompter Print. Please, just take anywhere, anywhere. Because obviously when you print out a presentation, it's full screen. You know, it's full A4 ink. It was best forgotten, but the graphics were fantastic in that application. It isn't that they don't have good software. It's just that they all go about it completely the wrong way, I find. Talking of which, Corel. Flagship application, Corel Draw. Was one of my favourites that, you know, back in the day. Not cheap. Wasn't cheap back then. Um, It's back. It's not been on the Mac for 18 years, but it's back. We talked about this last night on After Hours, didn't we? We did. Yeah, once we were we were fanning everybody back to consciousness when we saw the price. What they've done with it is the the entire suite, CorelDRAW used to be a standalone application, and then they brought out a suite version, and the suite version had other applications with it, one of which was was it Photo Paint? Why they bother with that when they've got Paint Shop Pro, I don't know, but that's that that's another rabbit hole. I'm not going down it today. So there is a suite of applications the CorelDRAW suite, and there's also CorelDRAW on its own. So what they've done with it is, um, this was back end of March, they snuck it out the door and it's now available on Mac. Now, given that you've got Adobe Illustrator, which whether you like it or loathe it, is the industry standard, but you've also got quite a few other vector drawing applications available on the Mac platform and iOS. Why would you release this? And then charge a ludicrous price for it. Because if you do, it's going to make it difficult for people to switch. They, they may try something that's cost effective. They may try it because they don't want a subscription. So I goes to the App Store. I looks. It says get. It does not say a price. It says get. Well, you know, that's, that's always the start of another rabbit hole. How much is it? Well, I had the App Store upside down trying to find out. You get a week's free trial. But to get the week's free trial, you've got to sign up first for a subscription. The subscription price was $18.99 a month. 
I'm just going to let that sink in. That's one application. This is not the suite. It's one application or $189.99 a year. Mm. Smelling salts are the ready at that point, wasn't it? It was. I then decided, OK, this is a bit silly. And I noticed in the comments people were saying um, it's a shame photo paint doesn't come with it. And I thought, well, does photo paint exist for the Mac? Or I was working on the principle they'd only ported Corel Draw over and they'd not bothered with the rest. But when I got to Corel.com, no, the whole suite exists. I do hope you're sitting down. That would be £599 with 10% off at the moment. I laughed like a drain myself when I saw that price. Because who in the right minds? I mean, surely it's cheaper to get the entire Creative Cloud suite for that. And they are industry standard. So um, I was looking at that and thinking not happening anytime soon. When you compare with the price, which is a single purchase price for Affinity, you can get Affinity Photo, Affinity Designer, and hopefully not in the too distant future, Affinity Publisher, for around £50 each. And I must have had those for four years now and never had to pay for an upgrade. In fact, I'm so keen on supporting them. I actually bought the Windows versions. Don't think I've really used them, you know. But I felt I needed to have them. I need to switch clients to them. That, that's the plan, to be honest. So I actually think Corel haven't got a clue how the Mac market works. But it's back. And I had no idea. Crazy beans, isn't it? It is crazy beans. So apparently I've got Corel software installed because I still use Parallels. Now, I didn't. I used um, VMware, but don't go there. That, that, was, that was even worse. Um, Parallels is one of my subscriptions. One of the few. But I did get it dirt cheap, didn't I? Don't I pay about £3 a month? Yeah. And you pay considerably more because I was yeah. grandfathered onto something I had in a bundle once. Yeah, that's how it works. But yes, it's back. So um, we're not bothering. Because at the same time, what did I find? A couple of weeks after Corel Draw was announced, what was released? You've forgotten the name, and if you had, you wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Amadine or Amadine, depending on how you pronounce it, from Be Light Software, which is a new... Vector editing application, price of which is $19.99. Buy it outright from the App Store or direct from them. Did I mention Corel Draw? $18.99 a month. Mm. How much would that cost over two years by comparison? It's ridiculous. So we'll be looking at that in the next after hours, won't we? We will. Uh, I gave I gave the watchers, the viewers, the choice on After Hours, and um, we were bringing them round with smelling salts at the Corel Draw one, so we all went for the other one, which I was very pleased about. Did you not notice the jeopardy I placed myself in there, Mike? You could have paid 500 Exactly. If people had yes. picked Corel Draw, it would have been like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily they didn't. So this week I will be spending the princely sum of nineteen ninety nine to buy Amadine Amadine. We're going to have to make a choice as to what we're calling that, you know. Toss a coin. I think it's going to have to be dying. I'm a dying. I'm a dying. Do you know who will know? Alistair will know. Let us know. Which, which way is it, Alistair? Do you know, it could be a word that means something and we've just not looked it up. Look it up now for me, Mike. There you go. Make yourself I useful. Did, I looked it, it up last night. I don't night. think it is a word, is it? I looked it up last night and it came up with anodine. I date pills. Anodine. Anodine. Yeah, that's got no E on it. Oh, well, never no. mind. So no. curl draws back, but don't bother. That's the moral of that story. Here's another crazy bean story. Spotify Premium now includes a free subscription to Hulu's ad-supported plan. It was available to new and existing users of Spotify's premium streaming service, but it was US only. Oh, surprise, um, surprise, my favourite type of offer. And it was uh, it came into uh, into being on the 12th of March. So this was another one that, uh, that, uh, that, that we missed. It sounds great. But there are limitations. You can't add premium channels like Showtime or HBO to your account. And it also excludes those who have a family plan. This is the weird one. The deal is open until June the 10th or while supplies last. Why are now, they shipping how, you something? How can you have supplies lasting on a, a digital deal? I think that's known as a digital get out of jail free card. If it proves now, too popular, note, they'll pull it. Note, what day is it today? Now, it's 1st of June. Yes, so we still have nine days to go. But this deal is no longer available unless you're eligible for a student discount. I was actually going to have a rant about how Spotify are happy to take our money but not include us in, in the promotion. But then, as I said, 
I found out it's only available in the US. And it's all to do with licensing. Because if they start catering for an audience outside the US, then they'll be charged with copyright infringements. And this may lead them to pay up uh, millions of dollars. And so in order for Hulu to start airing content outside the US, they need to get what's called a cross-continental content license. Oh, for crying out loud, it's all garbage anyway. This is TV, isn't it? It is TV. I'd just buy a box set and be done. In yeah. fact, I, but I do have my Nout V box, don't I? You do have That's the only V-box. one I have. And, and the stuff that I watch on it, you, you'll smile, Riley, when you hear this. My favourite show on it is Grey's Anatomy. And I never saw Grey's Anatomy. I remember it being advertised, series one. And I thought, that looks good. I'd like to watch that. But it was on some weirdy Sky Channel. Um, and I think we were up to series 10 or 11. Um, and it was when mum got really ill. And I had it on the Now TV service on my iPad. And I was sitting up with her 24 hours a day and I needed something to focus on. Do you remember me pouring water over my face and slapping myself to keep myself awake? And Mike said to me, I don't know how you can sit and watch a programme, a medical based programme with mum so ill. And I said, I just need something. I said, this this is really good. And that, that one I do watch. I watch another one called Station 19. Um... And that's about it. But, you know, if it's something that's on Sky and I want a box set, I'll just buy the box set. There's one box set I'm about to purchase. It's £12. That's a couple of months. In fact, it's not even a month with that deal, is it? No. Go and read a book. It's easier. There you go. Never mind your cross-continental licences. Just go read a book. Go outside. Smell the roses. I think... You should stop ranting. I think you should share your just because you can doesn't mean you should moment. Which one? Exactly. The one that left you teaching the neighbour some new not safe for work words seconds before you went live. Oh, that one. Uh, Yes. It was just before an after hours session. I was setting up and as I ran mouse pose, it prompted me to update from the beta that I'd been running for months to the final release. Final release release. Yes, with promises of increased stability. Surely no jeopardy there then. Mm. Well, I'd already bought a license during the beta programme. In fact, if we're going to get technical, I'd subscribed as the new version is subscription only. I know that's ridiculous, but I use it all the time in live sessions and there are very few alternatives anymore, including the fact the pinpoint RIP. So it was a simple matter of running the update then. Yes, everything went fine. New version duly installed. I ran it. A-OK. I tested it. Not A-OK. The update had deactivated the license. OK, a pain in the proverbial, but not a showstopper, surely. I headed off to one password to retrieve the license code. I added it to the app again. No joy. Well, unless you wanted to see an invalid license code message seconds before going live. I know what you're thinking. Just run it in trial mode. Not the best experience when trial mode slaps a huge watermark over the entire screen when it's enabled. Closer examination of the licensing window revealed that all the licenses were now invalid. I had an original beta license. I had my new subscription license. The lot... They were all invalid. Did I mention I was seconds from going live? Several times. Well, that was when inspiration struck. Or should I say desperation? I'd visit the website. I'd use the lost license option. I know I hadn't lost the license, but I was running out of options. An email duly arrived with a completely different license code in it. Seriously? OK, worth a try. I entered it and boom, it worked. I finished the live session and then let rip about the idiosity of, of remotely killing my licence code without even having the courtesy of telling me. Finally, fell into bed exhausted. Postscript to the story. 7am on a Saturday morning, 12 hours after I needed to know what was going on, I received a mail from Boinks telling me I was going to need a new licence code for Mouse Pose. Can we file that under no Sherlock? Furthermore, they kindly informed me I could use their Retrieve Licence Code service on the website to request my code. Yes, what I'd done the night before. The Mapbiters will be relieved to hear that you did calm down. Eventually.
Yes, it was really a virtual shopping with Elaine fiasco, wasn't it? It was. Even though I'd actually already purchased and it shouldn't have involved anything like that at all. Oh, well, never mind. Now, I have no idea what this next piece is. Oh, let me have a look. Oh, yes, yes. I was in my um, RSS feed reader, minding my own business, and I saw this, what could only be described as clickbait heading, and I had to click it. <laughs> Tinder launch is a new a la carte option, super boost, only for subscribers. Now, Tinder's that thing to do with dating, isn't it? You're asking me. Oh, I'm so glad you don't know. No, no, I'm not. I'm thinking it is. Right, let's assume it is. Let's have a look. Yes. Um, well, they have a service called Boost. <laughs> I was getting worried at this point, <laughs> but I did read it. Right. What Boost does, uh, it puts your profile to the top of the stack of profiles shown to potential matches for 30 minutes. Hmm. Super Boost um, will... It says the option will be shown to select Tinder Plus and Tinder Gold subscribers during peak activity times and only at night. This is sounding more dodgy by the minute. Once purchased and activated, Superboost promises the chance to be seen by up to 100 times more potential matches. By comparison, Boost only increases profile views up to 10 times. Hmm. Sounds like Facebook, doesn't it? Because as I was reading that, I was actually thinking, um, shown to more members. The, the language is getting very dicey. Um, I was actually thinking, do you mean perverts? <laughs> this this is weird to me. Why would you have a long-term subscription to this thing and want to be shown to thousands of people? Isn't it the quality of the match and not the number? Unless you're collecting, um, what's the word? Notches on a bedpost. That's what I mean. What's the, what's the good word for that? You've no idea what's going on here, have you? He looks completely no. flummoxed. Yeah, I was too. Uh, so you pay for this thing. It comes up and it looks very much... The link will be in the show notes. Have a look at it. It looks like a gaming app to me. You know, like um, a bingo app. And it says Super Boost. Super Boost me. Or you can go back to Boost, not Super Boost. Um, your Super Boost was a success. And then it says 97.5 times. Does that mean... you? I need to walk away from this story, don't I? I already have. Are you, are you, are you just test? You, have no, you got the why, app? why don't you talk about the earnings call? The earnings call's just as dicey as the Tinder thing, surely. Oh, well, never mind. I'll move on from that. Uh, the earnings call, yes. Mm. They reached their one trillion market cap again. Yawn. What did I say? As they announced this, what, what was the first words I said, Mike? Yawn. No, well, after that... Any sign of bin 2.0 yet? No, thought not. There's the earnings call covered then. They've got tons of money. They don't seem interested in having any more of mine at the moment. Now, in relation to that earnings call, I must admit, I then saw a story, and it's the one I've been banging on about for months, if not years. Um, the story was Apple allegedly lobbied against another right to repair bill, citing customer safety concerns. We don't have that kind of thing in the UK, do we? Not that I've heard of. Not that that's a bill going somewhere anyway. But basically, companies like iFixit are finding it hard to repair stuff because there is no right to repair and everything's a sealed unit. And they make the point. iFixit find it hard to reconcile Apple's environmental goals while it fights repair legislation like this. Now, haven't I been saying that for ages? You are throwing away a perfectly good piece of kit because they have decided it is now deprecated. So think about, remember iPad 1, when they stopped YouTube running on it and the iPlayer? Yeah. If those things had worked on it yesterday, why can't they work today? Because you've decided it's not going to do it. So there's nothing wrong with the hardware. Actually, it didn't need a repair, did it? But similar principle. And if you, if you do have something that needs repairing, you're either going to have to take it to them to repair or there's no right to repair it at all. That doesn't sit well with me with their green credentials because they're not putting up videos like that at WWDC, are they? Saying you can now repair this. But maybe other people have got a different view on it. Maybe they think that safety trumps it. I don't. I think you can have, you should be able to repair something without. Do you remember that computer I tried repairing and it set on fire? <laughs> yes. That was when there was jeopardy involved. I can't honestly see my, my iPhone <laughs> bursting into flames. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're if you're interested, I'm sure we covered this story eons ago because I played Arthur Brown's Fire, if you remember. Um, it was a it was a standard build PC that I took the side off to repair, and I got it plugged in. I had my head in the box. Because if you remember, I had to carry it through to another room and the curtains were closed. It was dark. So I put my head very close to the box. And when I plugged it in, there was flames on, on the motherboard. <laughs> so I do understand about dangerous repairs. But I still, I mean, I still repaired it. I repaired it even though it was on fire. So these things can be done. And I mean, it would save a fortune and save the planet. So apples, apples should get green with that, I think. But that's just reiterating what I've been saying for months and months and months. Ah... Uh, Apple weren't having a good time of it, though, while we were away, were they? They weren't. Hemorrhaging staff. Johnny's team dissipating. I thought that was really telling, didn't you? Um, basically, the Apple have lost three key members of Johnny I's industrial design team. While he's been playing around designing chairs for the Apple campus. Do you remember that one? And the coffee book. And the what? Wasn't it a coffee book or something? Oh, he did the coffee table. Coffee well, that, table. Was, that was ages yeah. ago. Uh, but that just included his designs, didn't it? Um, this is he's losing members of his team. But I was thinking, well, is he actually that team? The dynamic of that team must have changed greatly when he headed off to design the campus. And let's be honest, where's Ben too? You've not been working on that much, have you? So I wasn't actually surprised, but not looking good that. So we'll have to see how that pans out. I wonder who they'll dig out for WWDC this year. Eddie Q. Uh, and Cuddly Phil. And Cuddly Phil. Cuddly yes. Phil. And, and... Oh, that girl left, didn't she? The one that was... Um, the, the dancing girl. Yeah. Lovely hair. Yes. I can't remember her name. Oh, uh, oh, Saint something. Saint. That was a surname, Saint something. Can't remember her name. Don't know. But she was good. She was a good presenter. But you, you've not mentioned... I notice you've not mentioned the other one. <clears throat> Craig. Craig. I think you'll find it's time for Craig. Ooh. Anyway, carry on. Ooh, I wish they could see your face. <laughs> daggers, daggers, daggers. Sorry. I'm liking this, me seeing you on video. What was that? <laughs> Nothing. Carry on. Carry on, dear. Now, let's get serious again. Let's talk about Camtasia. One of the things that drew me away from ScreenFlow and to Camtasia was cross-platform compatibility. Although I do most of my recording and editing on the Mac, I like the flexibility to edit a recording on either platform, whether that recording was made on Windows or Mac, and of course ScreenFlow is Mac only. I do create a lot of uh, short how-to videos at work where I use the old version of Camtasia for Windows, which is version 8. And I can't open a recording made with version 8 on my Mac because recordings made with version 8 for Windows aren't compatible with the latest Mac version. Now to be clear here, I'm talking about the raw recording, not the resulting final output MP4. That's fine, that'll play on any platform. I guess the question that comes to your mind is, if um, why would I want to open a recording on my Mac that I made on my work laptop? And the answer is simply bigger screen. 27 inch iMac versus 15 inch laptop uh, screen. So no brainer, it makes editing easier. When it comes to recording a video, there's times when I've done a recording for work on my, my Mac. And again, you might, say, you might say, why? Well, the simple answer is a better resolution because my Mac is Retina. I've also got better audio equipment at home and a better editing experience, as I just said. Another question comes to mind is, does it matter that videos for work for an audience that are predominantly uh, Windows-based, does it matter that they're recorded on a Mac? Well, actually, many of my videos are for browser-based systems, so it doesn't actually matter if they were recorded on a Mac at all, because the person watching the video won't be able to tell. And Excel videos, I run Windows in a VM on my Mac, so I just crop out the VM's Chrome. Again, the person watching the video won't know that it was recorded on a Mac. I do have a problem though, just like the version 8 for Windows source files can't be read by Camtasia for Mac, the source file created by Camtasia for Mac can't be opened by version 8 on Windows. So if for any reason I needed to make changes to the video, I wouldn't be able to do it on my work machine. Work would be relying on me using my personal iMac. 
So that was from a work point of view. From a personal point of view, although I do have the latest version of Camtasia installed on both my iMac and my Surface, I tend to do the recording and editing on the Mac for the reasons that I stated. So you'd actually think I'd have no need to use Camtasia on my Surface. But what if I'd recorded using Camtasia for Mac, but needed to edit using my Surface? I know that's unlikely, but I might need to edit on the road, or I might have a tech fail with the Mac. The good news is that as time has gone on, TechSmith, the company that made Camtasia, have made things easier, and it's now possible to open a recording made with Camtasia on the Mac in Camtasia for Windows, and vice versa. However, there's still a few gotchas, and let me give you an example one that happened to me. A couple of weeks ago, using Camtasia for Mac, I recorded a short video about Excel. And this was for my Excel YouTube channel, not for work. When I finished the recording, I ended up with a T-Rec file, which is the actual recording, and I ended up with a project file. The project file is like the glue that holds all the elements of the video together. It contains references to the recording and any other media assets like audio, images, etc. And these files live somewhere on my computer and the project file just contains pointers to their locations. So I save the project file to my Mac's local drive. In Finder, the project file is shown as a single file, although it's actually a package file. So if you right click on the file name and select view package contents, you can see that inside the package file, there are some files and folders. There's the media assets and the T-Rec file. So as an experiment, I copied the package file over to the surface and then opened up File Explorer. But instead of seeing it as a single file, it displays as a folder with subfolders and the folder structure matches the package structure. That's obviously one of the key differences between the OS on Windows and OS on Mac. In one of the folders was a file called project. So I double click that file and it opened the project in Camtasia. Remember, this was a project that was created in Camtasia on the Mac. No complaining, no errors, just opened. Great, I thought, we have cross-platform compatibility, something I've been wanting for years. In Camtasia on the surface, I then click play to play the recording. And the recording played However, I noticed that something was missing. I have a five second intro to my videos. It's an animated video with some background music and I use the same video and music and it appears at the end of the video too. The music played, but the video was missing. So all I saw at the start and the end was a black screen with the music playing over it. And also missing were my watermark and my Excel trainer logo. I have an Excel trainer watermark that which appears at the bottom right hand corner of all my videos and the logo should be displayed with the animated video. The video watermark and logo were all on the timelining the Camtasia editor so from that point of view it looked fine. And then I had another thought. Camtasia on Mac includes a command on the menu export for Windows and even though you don't need to use this command because Camtasia on Windows can open a project file created in, on Camtasia for Mac, I wondered if the problem had occurred because I hadn't used that command. So I selected File, Export for Windows, and I got a message. Project, the, the project contains MOV files that use codecs not supported on Windows. Also, TIFF files are not supported on Windows, and PDF files are not supported on Windows. To resolve the MOV issue, I dragged a copy of the MOV out of the project, converted it to an MP4 using Handbrake, and then right-clicked on it on the Camtasia timeline and selected Replace Media. And I got an error. The selected file is not compatible. File must be the same format and duration as the original. So I had to delete the MOV from the timeline and the project and drag the mp4 into the project and onto the timeline and then change the duration. 
The original video was 20 seconds long and I only wanted to play it for 5 seconds. I also had to reapply some effects to the video because I changed the opacity to 20% and these effects were, were lost when I deleted them off. The PDF problem was due to the watermark file. I had to do a similar thing to fix that. Drag it out of the project, convert it to a PNG and add it back in. And the TIFF problem was the logo. So I had to convert that to a PNG and add it back to the project. Finally, having done all of that, I was able to successfully run the export for Windows command. That creates a zip file, which I copied across to the surface. On the surface, I unzip the file, double click the project file, and it opened perfectly in Camtasia. All the assets were there. I clicked play and it played in the editor with nothing missing. Success. However, I then decided to become adventurous. I made a small edit to the recording in Camtasia on the surface, saved it and copied the project back to the Mac. I opened the project on the Mac and received an error that there were missing files. And I thought that's strange because I've converted the MOV, TIFF and PDF to Windows compatible formats. And this time it was worse because all the files were missing from the project. So it appears that when you save a project on the Windows version of Camtasia, the paths to the files are absolute. So Camtasia on the Mac was being told the files were on the desktop of my Surface. So no wonder it couldn't find them. So I returned to the Surface, opened the project file again and used the command file save for Mac. That creates a zip file. And the zip file contains the recording, all the assets and the project file. I copied the zip file to the Mac, unzipped it, double clicked it, and the project opened. All the assets were on the timeline, no error messages, and the video played perfectly. So, in summary, Camtasia is cross-platform, in that projects and recordings created on a Mac can be opened on Windows and vice versa. But, depending on the versions you use, and depending on the format of any assets you have, you may hit problems. I'm glad I don't use it multi-platform. I'd have run screaming back to ScreenFlow, I think. I've never seen any of those issues. The only issue I occasionally hit, and if I do, it's my own stupid fault. Um, when it records, it creates a T-Rec. So your screen recording is a T-Rec. There are options in the Mac version of what to do with that file. So you know when the thing comes up at the beginning where you choose what you're recording? your microphone, your screen, your iOS device. You make a choice there of what happens at the end. You can leave the T-Rec where it has recorded to and go find it later, mm. or you can create a new project and add that to it. And I choose that one. And on the Mac, the default, there's a check in the box on the save, but the default is to save the T-Rec inside the project. And that would automatically be relative to where the project is. Yes. I had no idea it did different things on Windows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, best avoided then, isn't it? Best avoided. Uh, but in relation to Camtasia, uh, I've just got a reminder for my Camtasia maintenance agreement. That's not a subscription, is it? Or is it? Is it a subscription by another name? Uh, it was an option last year when I upgraded. I think my upgrade was around the $99 mark. That rings a bell. And there was this optional maintenance agreement. Now, what they told you at the time was they were intending. So instead of having this Camtasia 1, 2 and 3 thing that had been going on with 8 and whatever on Windows, they were switching to yearly naming. So it was last year, Camtasia 2018. And that they intended to bring out annual updates. So I could get this maintenance agreement and I would be covered for a year. So I went for it. I did it. Um, I'm being advised it's due for renewal, but there was a new version of Camtasia out. Um, end of April, wasn't it? And um, I got this for free. I got an email to say it had been announced and it said you're covered by your maintenance agreement. So it's completely free. So I was happy about that. Uh, but now I've had this mail saying, you know, your maintenance agreement is due for renewal. So you get one year of maintenance, including a software license, free updates during your year. 
access to Camtasia certification. Now, you've got access to that, haven't you? But you've not done it. Not done it, no. I did it last summer, so I'm certified Camtasia user. And when this new version came out, there was another certification course. So I took that as well. You get two active installs and it's cross-platform if you purchase it directly, which obviously it's not if it's from the Mac App Store. Um, it's $99 for every version. So that is the upgrade price. The full price is at least 200 which isn't anything like as expensive as it used to be. Um, I think the first version we looked at was around the £700 mark for Windows in about 2004. Do you remember Derek had it? Yeah. He came and did a demo mm. for us. We wanted it, couldn't afford it. Um, the thing with the App Store is every version is going to be $99 because there's no upgrade pricing. And your install, this is why it swings and roundabouts with this. Instead of your two installs, of course, though, via the Mac App Store, your installs are only limited by Apple. In other words, at the moment, they aren't. So if you did have your 10 Macs, technically speaking, and there's only you using them, you could install it on all of them. But then the App Store version's Mac only. So I think I will buy this maintenance agreement again, um, having already paid for itself because I got this upgrade to Camtasia 2019. And given that I didn't buy it until the 21st of June, this year's update was released the 30th of April. Even if they're a month and a half late, I should still be covered by that. So if I end up paying £46 a year, I, I'm happy with that. I don't think that's bad, given that we use it every day. Mm, that's not bad at all. Um, it, what I've done in previous years, and I haven't done it this year, previously, I've used my... Of one of my two licenses with a direct purchase I've put on Windows and one I've used on my main Mac. But I also bought Camtasia through the App Store and that enabled me to have it on other Macs. But I only really edit on one. So basically I'm paying for well $99 for as many Macs as I can put it on just to record. I haven't done that this year on the basis because I don't edit in it. If I just use the 2018 version that's installed... When I bring the files across for editing, uh, the project files will get updated to 2019 and the T-Rex are T-Rex, so they don't need converting. Um, so I've left it alone in terms of an extra thing. I might if there's any need to, but at the moment I'm leaving it at that and I've only paid £46 for the year. So that's taken my um, expenditure for recording apps down considerably. So I just thought I'd mention the maintenance agreement. Do you know, we also got several messages while we were away asking if we were in the market for one of those new iPads, the ones that came out mid-March. Short answer, no. Reason? Well, I've got one of the latest 11-inch iPad Pros, which was released last November. I now have no clue how many different iPads Apple are selling as current models. Does anybody else hanker for the days of Apple simplicity? One or two colours, two different capacities. That's it, single model. I looked at this month's issue of Mac Format. They've got a buyer's guide to iPads. Well, I thought, fair enough. And I started glancing at it and I thought, good grief, how long does this go on for? Eight pages. Eight pages to advise you on which iPad to buy. There was the Mini, there was the Pro, there was the Big Pro, the Little Pro, there was the other Pro, there was half a dozen pencils. It was like, oh. Unless you are buying top of the range, wouldn't you be confused these days as to which one to buy? Definitely. Yeah, that's where I'm at. So, uh, no, we didn't buy one, not even a Mini. I might have been tempted by the Mini with, with a pencil, but I would much have preferred that the pencil was Pencil 2. Pencil 2's much improved over Pencil 1. And I thought, if I've got a Mini kicking around and uh, an Apple, a Pencil 1, something's going to get lost somewhere. And I know they can't do that without changing the form factor, etc. And there is that alternative. There's that crayon um, pen, isn't there? Pencil. Uh, so that would be an alternative. But no, I haven't gone down that route yet. Although I was quite hankering after a mini. I think what I wanted was something the size of a mini that was a bigger update than that, because it still looks exactly the same. So no, we didn't. We didn't do that, did we? No. But big news. Just before we go, if all has gone to plan, you could well be listening to this show before it's actually released. Yes, we've mastered time travel at Matt Byers headquarters. 
No, seriously. We made a huge announcement at last night's After Hours live show. That was After Hours 25, if, you, if you're in catch-up mode. It was all born out of the demise of NiceCast. NiceCast was the audio app from Rogue Amoeba that allowed you to stream audio from your Mac to the world. No dedicated server was required. So, no external third-party service was needed either. All of which meant we could cost-effectively broadcast audio-only streams as and when required. And we used it extensively for the MacBytes Live audio-only stream. Now, with that enforced update to Mojave and the imminent demise of NiceCast, we needed to research online audio-only streaming services. Many options, mostly hugely expensive. Once we'd decided on the service, we had a platform that was just crying out to be used more often than the few times a year Apple graces us with a live stream. So, MacBytes FM was the obvious answer. Hence, on the After Hours 31st of May, we announced the launch of MacBytes.fm, a 24-hour, seven-days-a-week, internet-based radio station. We launched on the 1st of June with a live launch show and chat. This show, MacBytes 120, premiered on MacBytes FM after the launch show, and it was released in the feed 48 hours later. So what can you expect from MacBytes FM? Well, premieres of new MacBytes shows before they hit the feed. Live coverage of the WWDC keynote with our inimitable alternative commentary. We'll do a live news show every Sunday night. There'll be extra shows and all of that will be interspersed with highlights from 12 years of MacBytes shows. We're also going to do some music specials. Give it a listen right now at MacBytes.fm. And if you've got any suggestions for content you'd like to hear, let us know. Send a mail, use Twitter, Facebook or a pigeon. Doesn't matter. Let us know. Are you as excited as I am about this? I am. Yes. Once more with feeling, dear. I am. Oh, what he means is more work, but never mind. Well, that's it for this episode of Map Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to mapbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. Follow us at twitter.com slash mapbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Did you hear that? My microphone's picked it up, but my silicon brain is having serious trouble processing it. My circuits went into meltdown at the mere mention of seven days a week. They'll never manage it. You can say that again, but you know what that means, don't you? Of course I do. It means I'm right yet again. That's not all it means, you idiot. What? What did I miss? If they can't manage all that work, who do you think will get lumbered with it all? O.M.G. We will. Of course we will. And you call me slow. Do you think it's too late to unionize?